Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles and the Big Apple in New York City, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the caregiver's caregiver at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely co-host, Adrian Gruberg of thecaregiverspace.org. Say hello, Adrian. Hello. Oh. Coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on 25 global audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Facebook Live, SoundCloud, Blog Talk Radio, and 20 more platforms all around the world. And we're so (laughs) proud to be voted number one numero uno caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM and one of the top six best podcasts by Caring.com, as well as number three podcasts out of thousands of caregiver podcasts on Feedspot. And we have an exciting show planned for you today, but before we get started, I want to take this moment to thank my last week's guest, caregiver and publicist Jennifer Perry, otherwise known as Madam Perry, uh, a former producer. No, she doesn't own a uh, a whorehouse. Uh, a former producer, host of her own ten- entertainment shows on cable TV, radio shows. She will help you start a business and help you promote yourself, folks. And just to remind you, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews on all our sites I just mentioned, plus the 25 more, 20 more, and our membership website, caregiverdave.com. Well, enough of that. Welcome to the show, Monique, Monique Chapman. Hey! So excited (laughs) to have you on. I am so excited to be here and meet both of you. Oh, cool. Thank See, you. I was on I was on Monique's show a few weeks ago, and it was a wonderful experience. I found fair. out we have a lot in common. <laughs> he was we have a lot in common, fabulous. don't we? We're <laughs> yes. almost the same age. <laughs> I'm your big sister. Let's put it that way. <laughs> big sister. Sister, sister. Yeah. You're my sister from a different uh, mister. Oh, that, yeah. I just want I tried to make it rhyme. I didn't even know what that means. That was not bad. Really? <laughs> Really? I don't want to say mother because it doesn't rhyme. Yes. Doesn't All right. Yet. So why don't you take a minute, Monique, or two, and introduce yourself. I like to ask my guests just who is Monique Chapman and why was she put on this earth? Goodness. Um, well, I'm Monique. <laughs> uh, You're they, unique and Monique. Unique Monique. That was my real estate name when I was selling oh. real estate. Um, All right. Yeah, um, native New Yorker, upstate New York, Albany. I know folks down ah. New York City way don't consider that New York, but yes, it is. Oh, it's and, New York. And I'm actually from a town outside of Albany called Gilderland. Okay, so I was born and raised in Gilderland, New York, born into a spiritual family. After managing McDonald's right out of college, had enough of that. I couldn't stand the kids anymore, so I, honestly. <laughs> so I, you know, no. Hamburger, but anyway, um, so after that, I got into sales, and um, the last 10 years of sales, I was traveling corporate sales all across America, um, C-level sales, selling packages, software packages, anywhere between 8 and $50 million, and oh. uh, I was in actually Rochester, New York, and I decided after being in Rochester, New York, and a crappy meeting with the company that I was working for, that I was done. So I got on the plane to come home. I didn't tell anybody anything. Got on the plane to come home. And as you're going over the plane, they can track, you know, you can track where you're at. And I was over Minnesota. And I said, I'm done. I quit. So at that point in time, I um, landed in San Jose, went and got some boxes, packed up the computer, all the company's crap, sent it back to them with a nice note that I said I quit. (laughs) You know, burning bridges is my thing. And, um, you know, I came home, told my husband, he goes, well, what are we going to do? Because we're definitely a two-family income. And um, I said, I don't know. I'll figure it out. And that was in 2000. And I opened my business three weeks later. And I didn't look Mm. back. 
Now, I don't suggest for everyone to do it that way, but, you know, that's what I did. And, you know, I knew I could figure it out and, and move forward. Um, so I do intuitive consulting. So I give you intuitive consultations, also known as readings. I help people get rid of negative energy in their space. I um, Reiki master teacher, so I work with healing people. Um, ordained minister. So if you're getting married, I can do that. Or if you've left Earth and you need <laughs> service, I can do that. Uh, what else? I, I, th I think that's kind of it. Been doing it full time again since 2000, but you know, 30 years altogether. And I just tell people what to do. Uh -huh. So mine, I'm really good at talking to people. And um, uh, first of all, I can people's energy their frequency so I can tell you about yourself or somebody else if that's what you're you know looking for so we have a, my audience is uh, our audience is burned out caregivers and uh, many of them are having trouble to cope many of them you know go to God the traditional ways and uh, many of them are into fine. the uh, mysticism and uh, you know things like that so many uh, how can you help place. say again I said many paths to get to that one place, so it's okay. No judgment. So what would you tell uh, caregivers who are burned out, who aren't doing it well, who are, you know, not putting their needs first, who are uh, giving and giving and giving until there's nothing left to give, and 30% of them actually die, that's a statistic, yeah. before their loved ones do, and many more become sicker than the ones they care for, eventually needing a caregiver of their own after they're hospitalized. So this is who you're talking to. Okay, well, you know, it's interesting. To be a caregiver, an effective caregiver, it's important to be selfish. And I don't mean selfish in the sense of, yeah, oh, well, I'm going to take everything and it's all for me, but it's about selfish being self-care. When I was out giving talks and working with groups of women, I would tell them, you know, take care of self first. I think on my interview with you, I think you shared the story, which I've shared with people all the time. If you're on the airplane and they say that, yellow um, container right. comes down to take That's care of yourself man. first then everybody mm -hmm. else when I was traveling and working I was like oh heck no I am not <laughs> gonna do that I'm gonna take right. care of my babies first and then take care of me but then it struck me what if I took care of the babies but I didn't survive who was going to take care of my babies so, right. you know, I learned. So you got to self-care, take care of self first. What does that mean? That means finding your place of joy, your happy oh. spot, if you will, and taking time there. If you're caregiving, at least for one hour a day, and I know it can sound tough, but for one hour a day, you do something that fills you up and brings you joy. The more you are fulfilled, the more you give to yourself, the more energy you have for someone else. Mm -hmm. If you decide, oh, I got to do this and this and this out externally for everyone else, there's nothing left for you. And then you end up in therapy, you end up sick, and then you end up, as you said, leaving Earth before the person that you're mm -hmm. caring for does because you've given too much. You didn't take the time to replenish. And, yeah. you know, it can be something simple, um, half hour here of reading a book, another half hour there of watching TV. It doesn't have to be anything um, very hard, but you have right. to find what floats your boat and keep that <laughs> in your um, aura, in, in your area, because your audience won't get aura. So in your, your space. <laughs> yeah, I know <laughs> about aura. I'm talking to. Um, you know, you got to keep the happiness for you in your space it has to be number one because if not you don't drive so what does it mean when you say um how do you how do you assist people to remember keyword to come from a place of fullness when helping others because helping others really takes your mind off of you doesn't it and uh you stop doing the stuff maybe that's self-sabotaging you when you're helping others you're not thinking about you anymore you're thinking about them um, I like to say that caregivers are so selfless that they can become selfish just to move that pendulum halfway because they're not going to move it all the way over to selfish because it's just not in them but they do need to move it several <laughs> clicks of the dial you know what I mean and when my mom um, who's passed on now she's been gone for 10 years now wow mm -hmm. um, when she was um, very ill and needing care um, we had a team of um, it was six of us 
that were going through something similar. And as we were going through this, we came up with ideas and suggestions to keep um, ourselves grounded so that we did do self-care and self-care you know again something as little as maybe getting up 15 minutes in the morning and doing something enjoying your cup of coffee instead of running to the person right away to see what's going on there are small things that you can do um, where I feel you know you can be selfish and again it's not selfish in the sense that most people understand the word selfish to be is truly being selfish in the sense of self-care take your shower um, you know if you're a lady and you yeah. like to have your nails done do your nails do your hair small things like that truly give you energy to work with other people yeah when I say too selfish I'm talking about okay your loved one needs you but you're now you're neglecting their needs because you're being selfish you know uh, Yes, take care of their needs first. There is some things that you need to be unselfish about, but by and large, that's a small minority. You know, self-care is very important. And um, I personally think that caregivers, like I said, are so selfless. You will never, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, let's say selfish is a number 1 or a number 0, you're never going to get that person to a number 10. You're lucky if you get him to a 5, maybe a 6, maybe a 7. But that's all I meant by that. So you were a <laughs> caregiver for your mom. Yeah, I was. Um, and what were the challenges and what were the rewards? Um, some of the challenges. Well, my mom used to live with my sister. And... Um, my sister actually got tired of her, and she says, "Mom's gonna come live with you." And I didn't realize. I, I no, I knew my mother well, had. Nice. I knew my mother <laughs> had the physical. Tired of her. Yeah, literally. <laughs> you know, she came up and dropped her off. That was very honest of her. Off. You know, got, yeah. that, that's was, a good thing. She was doing self. She, she was knew her limits. Okay, yeah. but she didn't tell the truth, and the truth was oh. that. Um, we knew mom had lung cancer, but I didn't know about the Alzheimer's. And a few times they would come over, you know, she seemed a little spacey, but again, she's 90 years old. So, you know, you, you kind of get yes. with that. Um, and I didn't realize, yeah, and I didn't realize she was Alzheimer's and was a runner. So, yeah, I get a room all fixed up for her. And, you know, we brought some of the furniture from She my probably needed to be in a facility. Over. And she, you know, stayed for a little while, but she would run. I mean, I had to put locks way up high on my doors so that she wouldn't run away and all you of mean this. mean really run or just walk fast? <laughs> run. 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 My, mo my mom could still go. Good shape, <laughs> huh? At 90, yeah. she was running. Wow. <laughs> Very good shape. Um, and the lungs didn't seem to bother her when she was trying to escape wow. and run away. Um, but... It came down to where I couldn't care for her as right. I would like and to in the home because of, of the running. Okay. Sure. So I had to place her. Um, she needed 24-hour yeah. care. I mean, self-danger. Danger to herself. Yes. And she needed more care than I could give on a consistent right. basis. So I placed her. The mistake with placing her was we put her in a decent home um, in Hayward, California, although they've been on the national news with this coronavirus thing. Oh, they were um, the ones, huh? But we put, them, uh, we put her there and every day I'd go see her and I'd check on her and I would literally um, scream and yell at the nursing staff and the head nurse and all of this because they weren't like changing her diaper. They weren't doing this things that I felt that you know they should be That's, doing because they were getting yeah. paid a nice amount of money to take what care of What would you do differently in finding a facility now so that doesn't happen not to other people? One. Not Pardon? find one. Not, not find, find one. Yeah. You would have kept her home? I would have kept her home and brought in help. Brought in help, yes. Yeah. You had the finances to do that? Oh, yeah, but I just thought it would be easier for her to go. <laughs> and, um, See, you know, I tell and people, because uh, a lot of them don't have the finances. So I tell people it is possible to find a really, really good facility. I mean, they're few and far between. It's like finding a needle in a haystack, maybe one in 10. You know, a nine in 10, I wouldn't put my cat in. But how do you find a good one? You, you make unannounced visits and yeah. you do the smell test, see if it smells like urine. You walk down the hallway, see if everybody's staring at the blank walls or if there's actually programs that are engaging them and so on, stuff like that. There's things you can do, mm -hmm. but, you know, no guarantee. And you do that, yeah. and it still doesn't mean it's a good facility because yeah. all that was no done, guarantees. and and it was still, you know. Was it a facility that had um, 
a special uh, dementia wing uh, staff for um for Alzheimer's for, for memory the memory programs that some of um, these homes are they claim to have had I didn't see it play out in real life but that was yeah. definitely on their brochure on what they were marketing okay but was. I didn't see it play out play out in in real life and you know it is what it is I she could have gotten worse care okay to be yeah. honest with you things could have been worse but um she did the best that she could do and you know one night they called me on a Thursday night and they said your mom won't take her medicine and usually I'd say okay screw it and <laughs> don't give it to her but then something in my mind said go so I drove up to see her and when How I got there um five minutes so when I got there she was sitting in the um, hallway other people were in the hallway too but she was sitting literally in the middle of the hallway in her wheelchair she had both legs pants legs rolled up and she didn't show her legs I'm like hmm this is interesting so she goes what are you doing here and I said I came to see you sweetie and she says good come on let's go to bed and I said okay so I got her in bed and I climbed in her bed with her and we talked for about an hour hour and a half and I left 10 o'clock the next morning, they called and told me she was in a coma. She never woke up. Wow. Yeah. You had some good last minute time with her, at least. Yeah. And, and you know, one of the great things about if you truly pay attention to someone who um, needs caretaking, and especially if they're about to make their transition, yes. if they're open and they're talking, they share so much information. Much. The feelings, the thoughts. Uh, talk about connection with Source, God, whomever you want to um, call Him. Somebody told you to go got. when you normally wouldn't have gone, so you heard a voice and you obeyed the voice. Well, I'm yeah. intuitive, so I pay attention to my yeah. intuition. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> works for me. <laughs> All right, listen, we're going to take a break, so we will be right back. Don't go away. Dave Nasani. The Caregiver's Caregiver has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out, thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Thrive and stay alive as a caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. And we're back with my special guest, Monique Chapman, the unique Monique. And I'm Dave Nassani with my co-host, Adrian Gruberg. And we're talking about Monique's caregiving experience with her mom, which is very interesting and very common and <laughs> very predictable. <laughs> Same story, um, different person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was that your only caregiving experience with your mom? Um. Yeah, I mean, I you know. Lucky I, you. <laughs> well, you but know, it was very rewarding, doesn't it? I mean, everyone um, you know talks about how terrible caregiving is, but caregiving can be, if you have the right attitude, a very rewarding, heartfelt experience, right? rewarding but you go through all of the different emotions you know sometimes yeah. you're like why can't you just get better or why can't you do this and then you have to but then you have to take a moment and look at yourself and say okay what am I not willing to give to this situation okay um, when my mom Alzheimer's real bad and before um, she was placed I would take her to the store because she loved to go grocery shopping that was always her thing and she always wanted to pay with a check so you know 10 minutes <laughs> later at the cashier writing out the check and I would just whisper to people Alzheimer's and everybody understood 
You know, now if I rushed her and said, no, you can't do that, that would have been a bad experience for her. The people around me may or may not have looked negatively on it. But, you know, I let people know what was going on, communication. And she did just fine. You know, I I tell the story all the time. I have a gas station and one time um, this person came in and didn't realize that his father, his adult person and the elderly father came in, just followed behind him, didn't know. He looks at him, he says, what are you doing in here? I told you to stay in the car. You never listen to me. And he's just embarrassing this guy. And, and his little boy was with him, observing all of this. And I always say, you know, <laughs> be careful what how you treat your elders or how your kids are probably going to treat you. What was that song, Cats in the Cradle? Yep. Cat and yep. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that comes around, goes around. <laughs> okay. Yep. So you're the expert. You're a personal development expert. Um, so that means caregiving was easier for you no, because you I'm had all this human. training. No, I'm still human. <laughs> and I have my wants and needs, and there's other wants and needs. And at the time, see, 10 years ago, I had two millennials still at home <clears throat> and uh, sandwich three generation. dogs. You know, so. Did, did, you, did you feel you had. Um, a, a, a gift of particular kinds of insight that might have helped you as a caregiver? No, because when, you no. know, when I'm in the middle of a, a situation, like even talking to you guys now, you, you, you're getting me. I'm not looking intuitively to see what I should do or say or, or anything like that. I'm just living life as a normal yeah. person. Hopefully yeah. a kind person, but yes. living life as a normal person. And that's, you know, the one I think challenge I had was it was important for me to show kindness and compassion every step of the way. And sometimes I wasn't feeling it here in my heart, but I let it come out anyway. Right. Because it was mm-hmm. really important to be important. kind and compassionate because that made the person, my mom, but that made the person that you're caring for, it gave, it gives them peace. Okay. That is the number and, one and, quality a caregiver should have is compassion and empathy. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> and it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. So what words of advice do you have for our caregiving audience regarding taking care of themselves while providing help to their loved ones? It's a balancing act, isn't it? It's truly a balancing act. And first of all, it's really going to be important for you to truly understand what the person's going through. So if it's cancer, Alzheimer's, or, you know, you shared with me on on my show that your wife you know is paralyzed on one side of her body get information join support groups because you can share information get ideas to fully understand what the person is going through and then after you do that for not them but for you so that you can have peace of mind then it's important for you to truly come up with your routine for yourself on a daily basis whatever that is. And it's important to keep you in the equation because when you fall out of the equation and you give 99% of that energy to the person that you're caring for, that's Mm -hmm. when you get burned out. So if you can give at least 75% of your energy to the person that you're caring for and 25% to yourself, that is going to make life a whole lot easier. It's not a walk in the park, folks. It's not. We get our greatest lessons by the toughest situations that we go through. You know, a lot of people feel sorry for me. They say, oh, that poor guy, you know, his wife isn't, uh, you know, the same woman he married. And so many caregivers leave their spouses. We met so many who, you know, our support group says, yeah, while I was in the hospital, they served me divorce papers and this and that. I said, oh, my God, yep. you know. But yeah, there are a lot of. in the first place. Yeah. And there are a lot of them that have stuck by, you know. And it just depends, you know, did you take your vows uh, seriously or not? Well, it's that, and too, sometimes people don't realize how difficult and how the person really needs, how much they truly need from you. And some people are just not equipped to give at that level of giving, to do at that level of doing. And it's not a bad thing. It's just that they're not equipped to do it. And I never realized I'd be doing this. Uh, probably Adrian didn't either, did you? Me? Yeah. 
I not. I wasn't surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I knew somewhere along the line. It was I was surprised. I, just, I was a young guy, you know. You know? Yeah. Um, My wife's ten years yeah, older than me. So diagnosis came out of the diagnosis came out of nowhere. Steve always mm-hmm. had different things happening um, with his stomach, with his foot, with this, with that, and then when he had this CAT scan went to the emergency room with peritonitis, um, they discovered he had lung cancer. So I was curious to know. I mean, I I was um, I was always there when he needed to go for his treatments. When mm-hmm. your mom went to the facility, Mm-hmm. Is he getting treatments, or at that point was because I don't know how that works. If somebody's in a facility and needs and is still getting treatments, okay. So this is going to sound absolutely positively horrible. Um, <laughs> she had filled out an advanced directive um, many years prior. She didn't want treatments. We didn't give her treatments. We just let her okay. go. Okay. She was also yeah, diabetic, and mother. they were feeding her. Oh, she can't have sugar, and she can't have that. Yeah, she's 90. She died at 91. It's like, you know, what stage for lung cancer, she can have whatever she wants. Want to prolong, yeah, prolong exactly. the pain of Alzheimer's. We have, to, we have Alzheimer's. to extend her life. Why? So she can <laughs> sit in a wheelchair and watch these people? No. It's money. You know, just let oh, nature kind of take its course. She definitely believed in God, and she would about the, her conversations, if you will, that she had with God when she would go to sleep at night because I'd go see her. She goes, you know, God and I sat down and talked last night, and this is what we <laughs> talked about. And I'm like, okay, well, good for you. Or sometimes it was, well, your dad and I had dinner. My dad has been dead for 45, 46 years. But, you know, she would. And you didn't argue with her, did you? Oh, because everything that she is was a wrong. value. No, no sense in arguing. You know, so just let it go and go with the program, you know, and especially at her advanced age. Now, if she was a younger woman, it might have been a little bit different, but at 91, yeah. I didn't enjoy. <laughs> okay. You know, I can just hear some caregivers saying, uh, oh, I wish I could do what you're doing. I just wish I could be that person. Um, just do it. Because they would feel so guilty. They would just, they would, uh, guilt is a terrible thing for caregivers because, uh, you know, they they feel like they're not doing enough or they're not doing it good enough. How do you get rid of guilt? Don't have killer. it in the first place? Don't have it in the first place. <laughs> easy for you to say. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know. Um, no, but I've I mean, already so, got it. Now what do I do? Uh, okay, so seriously, if, you know, if you're feeling guilty, what are you not doing? Because if you're feeling guilty about something, generally there's something you're not doing or something that you could do no. better. So, there's you know, and again, if you decide to take that no. time for yourself and you're coming from a place of fullness, okay, then there's no room for guilt because you're full and you're helping somebody else. And, you know, sometimes it's okay to say no. It's a very right. good word, and no is a complete sentence. You don't need to explain it at all. It's just right. no. You can say it with a smile. No. What is it about no that you don't understand? saying no 100 <laughs> there different you ways. Go. No. No. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's, that's my wife's favorite word, no. And she can say it. Ah. A hundred different ways, yeah. and she has and you fun understand that each word. inflection, don't you? <laughs> Absolutely. Sometimes she just says it with her eyes, and you don't. She doesn't have to say a word. <laughs> no. <laughs> guilt. It's a terrible thing, and you're right. Yeah, it, it, it truly guilt is really bad. But again, if you're living your life as best you can. There's always going to be, you know, like some level of guilt. But you, you, if you're doing the best that you can and you know truly in your heart you're doing the best you can, forgive yourself and move on because there's no perfection. People are looking, oh, it's got to be perfectly a certain way. No, it doesn't exist. So you have guilt I mean, if you, you're looking for perfection. You, you know, you talked about um, just letting her live and, you know, she was 90 years old, not to go uh-huh. through this. And then, but before that, you said, this is going to sound terrible. And I mean, I don't think it sounds terrible at all. I think what has to happen for, with other people is there, if there is a conversation where 
the, the directives get written down and, and you understand what the person really wants, mm-hmm. um, then if you're following what they want to be done, there's really no reason for and, guilt and in that aspect it. of it. You don't have to yeah. share with your judgmental friends, you know, so that right. you feel guilty. This is between right. you and her, yeah, and her wishes, well. and don't advertise it. <laughs> you can advertise, and when your judgmental friends make a comment, since you have a Christian show, I'm not going to tell you what I would say, but um, you can politely have another version of no. <laughs> no, I, I tell them the same thing. Uh, you and I are on the same page on that, because I have an advanced directive. My mother had an advanced directive. And she used to say, oh, why is God leaving me here? I'm in so much you know, misery. This is torture. And it's true. And my mother-in-law would just torture herself because she was in denial about her dementia. There's nothing wrong wow. with me. I can remember yeah. everything. Yet she'll call me 10 times a day saying, someone just broke into the house again and they hid my keys. They hid my wallet. And, and then uh, when they would show up, oh, they must have brought it back because they want to drive me crazy and this and that. And and. I forgot my point. I was going to make a point, well, but I forgot when it. My, my mother didn't have Alzheimer's, uh-huh. but she was, when, she, when my father died, she became a little paranoid because she'd always been protected, and she started to hide things. Ah, uh, yeah. From the and people with who age, were stealing. she started to forget where she hid yes. those things. So, <laughs> yes. so-and-so stole this, and so-and-so stole that, and so-and-so stole this. <laughs> and when I went to close up her house, of course, I found everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it was purely a matter of just not remembering. And yeah. you don't have to have Alzheimer's or dementia not to remember. Yes, God I'm still that. looking for. I'm still looking for something I hid um, <laughs> two weeks ago, and I'm like, okay, you can't find it, but you know it appears when it's supposed to. My mom, with her um, hiding with Alzheimer's, she loved books as do I, and she had this habit of putting a ten dollar bill in different books, but she couldn't uh-huh. remember what book. So after she passed, and my sister and I are cleaning out everything, we found three thousand um, wow. dollars. Yeah. Okay, and $10 bills. Yeah, my grandfather was like, (laughs) yeah, so, you know, I was like, thank you, Mom. (laughs) You know, but you couldn't throw anything out without looking. Couldn't give it away without opening the book. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so I remember what I was going to say anything out anyway, because my mom, you know, God bless her, she was a hoarder. I mean, floor-to-ceiling boxes, and ugh. yeah. Um, thank God I didn't develop that uh, trait. But you know, so you didn't know what was in things, and you you, you had to look. She was living in Florida um, when and taking care of her mom when her mom was alive, and then when her mom passed, she moved to California to be near us, and she mm-hmm. shipped her stuff out. She paid twelve thousand dollars to mm. ship Whoa. magazines from nineteen fifty-six. Oh, my. Other things. I mean, mail from, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and this is before she passed. She had boxes full, and it was like, oh, my goodness, Mom. But she goes, I can't throw it out. I'm going to need it. (laughs) All right. Okay. Yeah. So I was going to say, my mom's advanced directive, and she had a foreign doctor. I think it was from India or something, and I think those – are more understanding people than the American doctors because uh, they says, well, you know, uh, she's not eating, she's not swallowing, we want to put a ventilator. It says, no, 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 she has an advanced directive, no tubes, no nothing to prolong her life. Um, well, what about uh, f- food and water? He says, you know what, if she can't eat it on her own, then no, she's not going to eat. Right. So they, they deprived her of water and food, but then she developed an um, infection in her bladder. You can Ooh. see the, the dark, dark blood coming right. through the tube or urine. It's supposed to be urine, and it was like the color of dark blood. And I says, well, she's in pain, so give her morphine and give her an antibiotic, you know, and, and water to swallow it, of course. And she lasted a, a couple of days, and we had a good time uh, while she was uh, with us. But this was her golden opportunity to prolong this thing that she wanted pro- uh, hastened, you know, 
And I didn't feel guilty about it. Uh, my brother and my sister didn't make me feel guilty about it because if I was there, I mean, that's why she filled out the stupid thing. And that's why I filled it out because I know where I'm going when I die. She knew where she was going and she's in a happy place. And don't feel guilty. <laughs> you know, you're going Gotta someplace even if place. you don't know. So, well, you never know. So, just live the best life you can possibly have, and treat others the way you'd like to be treated, just with yourself, and just move forward. You know, we are surrounded by creation. So much unknown. And when there's a creation, there's a creator, and so that's just my philosophy. So, okay. he made us. He put us on this earth. He gave us this thing on our head, and the mind, and the personality, and and uh, that's called faith. And live, you, you know, there is good and there's evil, and uh, we see it every day. Oh, there's and good and there's evil. There's good <laughs> yeah. and there's evil. There's... Definitely. <laughs> uh, don't, be, don't be evil. That's all I can say about that. As Forrest Gump would say, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I, I changed through my wife's experience of being her caregiver. I changed through the 2008 fiasco where I almost lost my house, I almost lost my business, I almost went bankruptcy. I lost like a lot of money, I won't tell you how much. But, uh, and, I, and I had a lot of debt and I defaulted on it. And I always say, I said in my book, uh, you know, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't want to repeat that for a million dollars, but I wouldn't uh, want it to have not have ever happened because I like what it has changed me into. For yeah. a billion okay. dollars. Experience. You know? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that's well, what a... that's what changes us, our good experiences and especially our bad experiences. Because that's how you know what the character of a person is. Not when there's money in the bank and you're getting along with your wife and and you you got uh you know, um, you're in the peak of health, but when your doctor says you have cancer and when your wife gives you divorce papers and your CPA says you need to go bankrupt now you're going to find out what you're really worth. And, yeah, and, and then you're going to find inside. out, too, who, who truly is with you. Yeah. Yeah. So, if after so I'm, assuming, you, uh, I'm assuming the experience with your mom has uh, drastically changed you. Uh, why don't you I don't know if it's drastic, but, you know, I grew. <laughs> um, and the growth was, um, you know, as I said, I'd go to the uh, nursing home and I would, you know, have every freaking day with dealing with the nurses and the doctors and you know patients I mean they had her sitting at one table where um, the man to her left would reach over and take her food and I'm like you know that that's not a good thing somebody should be watching huh? that well they weren't um, so yeah. I, learned, I, I learned to be able to communicate very clearly what I wanted in regards to her with health care I learned that it's important to um, communicate with people in that type of setting in a way that yeah. they can hear you. That's not accusatory and that's not off-putting. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Because you could mean thing. something. The squeaky wheel gets the oil. Yeah, and you could mean something, you know, with the highest integrity, but if it's taken wrong, um, you know, that puts a little, you know, really janky energy into the situation. So I, my biggest thing was um, patience and communicating with people who I was very angry with. Yes. Yeah. In a I positive mean, way. I found when um, when my, my mother-in-law was in the hospital for the last time, it was a, a long, she had uh, uh, mel lymphoma and uh, she was 93. Uh huh. Uh, she'd gone through three rounds of chemo since she was 89. I mean, oh, wow. she was extraordinary. I mean, little tiny lady, tons and tons of strength. <laughs> and <laughs> really. And I learned I needed to appear professional and communicate on a level with the nurses where they saw how cooperative I was being hmm. so that when the time came and I really needed their help and I uh, that I hadn't been a nuisance that uh -huh. I was a, a, a willing participant in all of this uh -huh. so when I needed them I needed them you know? yeah and they were there 
and it was purely a matter of communication and have speaking in a way that they were going to listen to me. Yeah, and you have to be heard because if you can't communicate in a way that people can truly hear what you're saying, not just listening, but, you know, truly hear and right. be able to digest what you're saying, it's a yes. win situation for all. And it takes a little skill in um, dealing with the different personalities because, I mean, the healthcare workers are people too. They have their wants, their needs, their ups, their downs, their yeah. goods, their bad, okay? Sure. You have no idea what went on in their life before they showed up for their shift. So, you know, there's many different types of energies intermingling and it's yep. important to be, what I'm going to say, within your own integrity and, you know, communicate with them. And then when things didn't go well, I was not shy at all about calling in other forces. Like the, state. I mean, <laughs> the other thing is, um, I, as, as far as being intuitive, <laughs> I do a really good cold reading of people. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that is very valuable. Yes. Because when you, when you see who someone is quickly and can, and can adapt, that, that served me very well. And believe what you see the first time. Don't look for something three or four, you know, times down right. the road. What you right. see is what you get time one. They are and you don't have to are. have judgment on it because we're all doing our own little thing, if you will. So, right. oh, well, that's that's what they decided to do. Great. Good for them. Yeah, I mean, there's no judgment. Nobody's better than anybody else. No. Um, it's just about, you know, you doing you and allowing other people to do them. Right. Hey, we're going to take another break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Anytime we suffer loss, we grieve. And a lot of people don't realize what even the grief process is. But it could be five to seven steps ranging from denial. I don't believe this is happening. Anger. Oh my gosh, I'm so upset this is happening to a form of bargaining, how can I get out of this? To depression, which is a very serious thing because that often leads to suicide. And then finally, finally, after you realize you have no more control over your situation and you're totally okay with the new normal that it brings, that wonderful, wonderful place called acceptance. One Arm, One Leg, 100 Words, Overcoming Unbelievable Hardships, is about Charlene, a stroke survivor. Back in 1996, Charlene was a healthy, normal, very active 52-year-old woman whose amazing talents resemble that of both a Martha Stewart and a Wonder Woman. But all that changed when she suffered a massive stroke that left her severely speech-impaired and paralyzed on the right side. Who am I? My name is David. I've had the privilege of being Charlene's husband since 1975. We had a wonderful, fairy tale, storybook-like courtship that culminated in our marriage a year later. Charlene had just come out of a marriage where after 10 years, she received two black eyes and a broken nose by her former husband when he came home high on speed. Charlene believed in no second chances of any kind for abuse, so she left. Finding herself all alone in the world with her five and ten-year-old daughters Cynthia Lorraine and Deborah Lynn, she started raising them by herself for the next two years. Then fate brought us all together. After falling in love with Charlene, Cindy, and Debbie, our love then produced Rebecca Elizabeth. We had a wonderful, normal life for the next twenty years. But today, things are very different for everyone. How about the reaction of nine-time Grammy and Dove Award recipient the godfather of contemporary gospel Christian music, Andre Crouch. Charlene just won't let the promises of God go, and she has not let her circumstances get in the way of her faith. She's not just a survivor, she's more than a conqueror, as the Bible states. You'll be encouraged by her testimony, regardless of what you're going through. Available everywhere. And we're back with Monique. The unique Monique Chapman, I like that. <laughs> I'm Dave Nassani, I'm with Adrian Gruberg from the Caregiver Space. And, uh, you know, so many people, Monique, when their loved one dies, transitions, they get depressed. 
because they were they got so wrapped up, especially you know if they've done this for years or decades. I mean, I'm on my twenty third year, <laughs> and it's like their whole identity was wrapped up, and and they just have an identity crisis. And they, Adrian even has a, a group for them uh, after care. Many of them just can't go on, and so we recommend to a lot of them to to start volunteering at a senior center, you know, keep keep doing. If that's what you want to do, keep doing it. What advice do you have for some people like that? And how are you doing? I mean, did you feel anything like that? Um, well, I have a little bit of a different belief system than your listeners. So after mom died, um, they, I wasn't there when she passed away. I didn't want to be there. It was understood. None of us was going to be there because our belief system is you don't have to be there. So mm-hmm. I was sitting on the couch. They called me. They said she had passed. And um, I asked my oldest son, who was home at the time, to come sit with me because, frankly, I was scared. I don't do dead bodies well or the concept <laughs> of well, I, I just don't. I okay. can talk to them, but I just, you know, I didn't want to do you, that. You so don't see my, dead people, huh? I, I do <laughs> see. That's the problem. Um, and, um, so my uh, oldest son came and he sat next to me. We are just watching TV. He was holding my hand. And all of a sudden he goes, stop, stop, stop. What is this? What is this? And I'm like, oh, crap, that's grandma. I didn't say that to him. I just let it pass. And then a few minutes afterwards, I said, um, sweetie, did it feel like spider webs by your ear? He goes, yeah, this massive spider web was in my ear. I said, grandma was telling you something, but I don't know what. <laughs> So, you know, life, she proved, if I didn't know already, that life still goes on. The the soul, the energy of the person still goes on. So I didn't really have a, um identity crisis around that because I knew mm. she was okay. She had made the transition, breathing, not breathing. And, you know, she would be fine. She would find her way. Um, for those who do go into um, a crisis and they can't go on, um, it's going to be really important for you to find as um, find something to do. Whether it's you know senior, if someone said to me go volunteer in a senior home, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Okay, that's but I I found I had other outlets. So just because they are no longer here in the physical, it's important that your life go on. So if you choose yeah. to get in the bed and stay there for ten years, or you climb into the vodka bottle, you can do that, or you can yeah. decide. Okay, well now I'm free to be me again, and I am going to do things that. Yeah. And not everybody, you know, goes through depression. Adrian, do you know the numbers? I mean, from your experience, no. it's just like 10% of the people. It's no. a minority, isn't it? I don't think so. You think it's Well, poor? I mean, people have normal, there, there's normal Well, sure, yeah, they're going to grieve the loss. They're going to yeah, miss them and all that. But I'm talking about ones who, who can't it, get it, over it. Yeah, After exactly. five, six years, they're still grieving. It's, they still, that's, you know. Well, that's, but they're choosing not to get over it at that point. Yeah. Right. Because we all have choices. Every morning that we, uh, God allows our eyes to open and we figure out that we're still breathing, we have choice. Very much. I mean, and, I, my, my mother-in-law seems to be coming up a lot today. When She was <laughs> 63 when she lost her husband to lung cancer. And... Um, she knew she wanted to volunteer and do something, um, but she didn't want to be a candy striper. She didn't want to work at a senior citizen's home. She, you know, she didn't want to want to be in the hospital reception area or anything like uh, that. So she found a, in one of the little news, you know, the little digests that have all the wanted at the supermarket mm-hmm. there was a page that said learn braille ah <laughs> and she she took to that she learned braille she got special typewriters that gave her a computer i mean her whole life changed, changed. after her husband died and yeah. she did she made all these new friends and did all of this wonderful work and the most amazing thing was i have a block away from me a braille library Oh wow! So when she was in recover, <laughs> when she was recovering, and we were walking around the block, and I said, "This is a Braille library." She said, oh, "Let me see if my books are here." Oh, <laughs> and, there you go. And some of them were, and it mm-hmm. was it was like she really found something that was going to be positive and not and not 
you know, it's depressing. I mean, being around seniors for a lot of people can be very depressing. Yeah. And she just yeah. wanted to do something worthwhile and help help humanity. Well, yay, good for her. I'm glad she yeah, you know, listened to her own self and she did something for herself. And she did. in turn for others. Yes. Yeah. Very My much. Wife hated the support group that, that they recommended she go to because it was full of 90 years old and 85 years old. Right. And right. she was a young woman. She was 52 years old when she had a stroke. Right. And she just said, I don't want to be around these people. I'm young. I want to be around young people, young normal people. And so, you know, I guess I I also would like that as well. So we're getting up on the end of our hour. Why is it important to honor the person that you're caring for? And how do you help um, them keep their dreams alive? Um, well, it depends on... It depends on what they have um, going on, but honoring them mm -hmm. is, you know, truly being present with and for them, okay? Mm -hmm. um, having the patients taking the time, showing them the love that they've shown you, or if you didn't get that love throughout your life, showing them the love you thought you would like to have had from them, <laughs> okay? Exactly. So that covers the whole thing there. Um, second part of your question was honor them and then what, to help them? Um, Sorry. To help keep their dreams alive, you know, sometimes or are your dreams their, not their dreams necessarily? Sometimes it's not have to take important to keep their dreams alive because when someone comes into Earth and they grow up and they do whatever they do when they leave, you know, go. you can either let it go or you can keep it alive. If it floats your boat, if it doesn't float your boat, let it go. Somebody else will pick Unless it up. Unless you're Martin it. Luther King and the dream needs to go on, you know. <laughs> and, oh. um, Maybe, maybe I won't not. make it to the promised land, but you know, yeah. going there. it was an amazing uh, show, and um, I appreciate you coming on and uh, answering our questions. They were very important Sharing questions. Sharing your experiences, yes. yes. Well, thank We've you never had on anyone like you before, have we, Adrian? I don't think we have. No. <laughs> um, you, you mean intuitive black female old? Intuitive. <laughs> Enough of that. Thank you so much for being on the show. And Thank we you for having me. You. And, oh, did I ask, uh, what if somebody wants to get a hold of you? Let me get uh -huh. your uh, oh. information. Um, you can look at my website, and that's MoniqueChapman.com. My name, mm -hmm. MoniqueChapman.com. Oh, that's easy. You, you'll find everything you need to know. <laughs> and Adrian, you're at the caregiverspace.org, and you also have a Facebook yes. page with 168,000 followers. No, 165. 165. <laughs> and you know you what have happens a... is when they change their algorithm, the numbers yep. change too. Oh, yes, that okay. darn Facebook. It's pay for play <laughs> now. You got the money. What was that old song? You got the money, honey. I got the time. <laughs> and I'm caregiverdave.com. Um, go there. and We're giving away free gifts, three free gifts to caregivers just to help you get back on the track, help you realize that you need a support group. Everybody needs a support group. I needed one. I couldn't. But that's where I learned that I had to take care of my needs first. I didn't even know what a caregiver was. And so I wish that I knew me when I first became a caregiver. I wish I had a caregiverdave.com to go to because it would have been a whole lot easier. Yeah. So oh, thank yeah. you, Finding Adrian. a nice service. <laughs> thank you, Monique. And you have a great day, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for tuning in. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise. Like the birds will never sing